Well, this is a low Sunday, isn't it? A low Sunday. Because uh, we're grieving today. We're grieving the fact that um, Gordon and Karen are no longer with us, although I can hear Gordon whispering in my ear and saying, I've got three days yet. (laughs) (laughs) Not until the 31st of August. But to all intents and purposes, um, they've gone, and we and they are grieving today. And we miss them. We miss Gordon's impassioned preaching. We miss his careful planning, his strategic thinking. Maybe not miss his sense of humor, but uh, <laughs> personally, I will miss the discussions of the cricket on the, uh, at the door on a Sunday morning. If there's anybody else who'd like to take that task on, then uh, let me know. We miss Karen's gentle grace, don't we? We miss the immense concern that she has and continues to have for others and for her wisdom that was learned through loss and her faith that colored really everything in her life. We miss them. And no doubt they miss us. And it's okay for us to acknowledge that and as they will be doing today. In that period of grieving, which will go on for a while, Um, I think it's important that one of the things that we do is is reckon the the things that we still have, reminding of ourselves of some of the things that have not changed. This, This congregation has a wonderful resource of people. There are people willing and able to help out from the gardening, to the concession, to the music, to the prayer diary, to the technical stuff. There are um, many, many uh, willing and able volunteers in this congregation. We still have Miriam working with us with her unique uh, enthusiasm and creativity that she brings to that role. And actually, above all, We have a faithful God who promises to be with us through the grieving, through the um, anxiety, through the excitement, and remain with us. I want to just say a couple of things about um, where we're at as a congregation. before we we come to the Bible passage in particular. First thing to say about that is that that we do not, at this stage, have permission to call a minister. That's something that presbytery gives to congregations. We're not alone in that by any means. There There are no congregations, vacant congregations at the moment, in the Church of Scotland, who have permission to call a minister until the presbytery plan for their area has been agreed. So at the moment, we are not able to go into what many of you would understand as normal sort of vacancy processes and look for another minister. We can't do that at the moment because the presbytery in our area has not agreed the presbytery plan. Now, it's worth just saying perhaps that the presbytery plan is is something that is happening right across Scotland. It's not just this area, right across Scotland. 
The, the Church of Scotland is going through a major reorganization. And it's up to each area presbytery to decide exactly how that's going to look. The, the time scale for that, I understand, is that it should be, the presbytery plan for our area should be agreed by the end of this year. And at that point, we will get permission to, to call a minister, hopefully. Um, it, it almost certainly will mean a reduction in the number of ministers. For example, in East Kilbride, there will be probably fewer ministers. It may include some guidance about what buildings are going to be used um, in the future. But until that presbytery plan is agreed, then, then we will not have what the permission to call a minister that we need in order to proceed. So we're, we're in for a period of, of uh, uncertainty, and uh, it will go on for a little while. We do have an interim moderator. Um, his name is Andrew Rooney, and he is Minister of Kirkmere Hill, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so Andrew will be um, the person who uh, chairs the Kirk session, for example, and will be the kind of point of contact for us with the, with the kind of official uh, bodies of the Church of Scotland. So that's good news, and I'm delighted that Presbytery have um, appointed Andrew as our interim moderator. Gordon Palmer um, was quite keen to try and find a locum for us as a congregation. That would be a, a, a minister who would take the services on a regular basis and, and look after some of the pastoral work. We haven't been able to find that. So it, the, the first point of contact for people in hospital or whatever it is, information, is the church office. That's as it was before. So it's through Eleanor at the moment. Um, so the first point of contact is through the church office. What we do have is we have um, a, a group of volunteers who have agreed to take services and at the moment our, uh, our kind of preaching plan, the, the, the plan for people taking services goes up to the end of the year. So that's kind of in place. And I'm going to be doing some, Martin Russell's going to be doing some, Stephen Preston's going to be doing some, Ian Harrow's not here, but he will be doing some. <laughs> we'll hope he turns up on those Sundays. <laughs> the other uh, person that is going to be doing a bit of preaching with us is Gordon McCracken. And Gordon, um, Gordon, would you like to come up? Um, Gordon is a retired uh, minister. He was minister in uh, Whitburn, and then he was a colleague with me in the interim ministry team. And then most recently, Gordon has been uh, the presbytery clerk uh, for Hamilton Presbytery, which is, he's now moved on from that job. And we welcome you, Gordon, and Jess, your wife, who's here today. Give us Thank a you. wave, Jess. Thank you very much. <laughs> So I, I thought it would be quite helpful for you just to kind of have a look at him. And uh, <laughs> so there he is. <laughs> so you can make up your mind whether you're coming next week or not. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, I, we're going to do just a little bit of a, a, a dialogue that um, let you get to know Gordon a little bit. So Gordon, where are you from? I'm from Glasgow. I'm from the West End of Glasgow. The inner West End, not the posh West End. Deniston. No, 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 that Denison was, was East End. I worked here for a while. Okay. But no, beside the Kelvin Hall, um, okay. Kelvin Grove Museum area was brought up. Say a bit about how you became a Christian. 
Um, I, I can't remember not being a Christian. Okay. Um, although at what point I actually made the, the big decision to, um, to really commit myself is a, a different story. But I grew up in, in the kirk. I went to um, Sunday school in the morning in the local parish church. Where was that? Uh, that was in Kelvin Hall. Okay. Uh, Artisans Gospel Hall uh, at night. Um, so, you know, very much morning and, and evening. But evening, of course, was uh, the orange juice and the... The snacks that you go along with the Magic Lantern <laughs> show that um, was the attraction. And come up through um, Life Boys, Boys Brigade. Wanted to be a Boys Brigade officer um, and eventually felt the call to ministry. So I, you know, I can't remember a time where I, I wasn't involved in the church. And where did your ministry take you? Uh, well, my ministry took me um, to Whitburn. I was there for nearly 14 years. I then went down to um, co-winning in Ayrshire. I was there for just over three years. Um, adjustments um, kind of paid to that. I then went into interim ministry and I worked um, in various places. I think we reckon, what was it, 10 moves in 11 years, Jess? Um, everywhere from Dumfries in the southwest to Peterhead in the northeast and all stops in, in between. When I went from Dumfries to Peterhead, one of my colleagues, who was a chaplain in Berlin, he said, you must have been an awfully bad boy to <laughs> Dumfries to Peter Reed. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, do you like cricket? <clears throat> I do like cricket. Oh, I, good. I, um, <laughs> I, I'm not a fanatic. That was, that was my former PA um, when I was Presbyterian Clark. She was a cricket fanatic, Harden Gordon. But I do like cricket. Um, I played cricket when I was younger. Um, so I have a passing interest in the game. Do you know what the situation is in the test match with South Africa at the moment? No, I'm afraid I'm not that into it. So, okay. Uh, tell us who the important people are in your life. Important people in my life are my wife um, and um, our family. We don't have any children of our own, but we've got nieces and nephews and so on that we're very, very close to. Um, but, uh, they're the most important people, apart, of course, from the man. And you're living, stage. where are you living? I live in Lanark. Okay. Um, so it's about a 45-minute commute to, to get here. But, yeah. uh, okay. well, it was nice this morning over the hills. We're very grateful to you for being willing. Gordon's going to be, um, I think you're doing about once a month. Yeah. But, and I'm doing about uh, once a month. Yeah. And uh, Martin and Stephen and, and uh, Ian are, are doing bits and pieces as well. So uh, thank you very much indeed. Okay. So, and I'll see you next week because I'm on. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, turn to God's Word and have a little think about this. The, um, these uh, two commandments that Jesus identifies in Matthew 22 as being the greatest commandment. The commentators say that actually by the time um, Jesus was talking about this, I mean, obviously, you know, you start off with the kind of Ten Commandments and Moses and all that stuff. By the uh, period of the New Testament that we're talking about here, the, the teachers of the law would have recognized perhaps 613 commandments. So he had quite a lot to choose from. <laughs> and he picked uh, these two. Love for God and love for neighbor. And the reason I want to just unpack this a little bit is because on this day, on this low Sunday for us, I think it's quite important that we really focus again on things that are absolutely core to the Christian message. And, and if you want something that's really core, then you go to the thing where Jesus said, these are the greatest commandments. 
and all the law and the prophets hang on these. Love for God and love for neighbor. And I also added in that one from, from John's gospel, which is uh, Jesus says, I give you a new command. You love one another. And uh, we'll think about that in a moment. They, um, there actually are four words in the New Testament for love, and they are these. Philia means friendship. Eros is uh, sexual love or romantic love. Storge for family love or empathy. And the word that's used in, in these passages that we've read is this word agape. And in classical Greek, it's quite an unusual word. It's not used very much in, in Greek writing of the time. It's used again and again and again in the New Testament. And that tells us something, I think, about the nature of the love of God that is displayed in Jesus. And it means that self-giving, sacrificial love. That's to be the, the measure of the love that we have for God, for our neighbor, and for one another. And what I want to do is just very quickly to unpack this using a little um, acrostic. An acrostic is a little thing where you take the capital letter and you make another, you know, you, you, you put words against it. There are quite a lot of acrostics actually in the Bible, particularly in the Psalms. Quite a number of the Psalms are structured around parts of the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, Psalm 119, you know Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, I can't remember when the verse is, 153 or something like that. And each section of Psalm 119 begins with a different letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So that it's a way of, of thinking about things. So I'm going to take a word that begins with L, O, V, and E, a different word, and use that to kind of unpack this. So anybody want to have a guess about what I'm going to do for L? I have to shout it out because I'm deaf. Life, that would be a good one, wouldn't it? Learning, that would be another good one. Anybody want to come preach? <laughs> well, the word I'm going to use is, is a word that may not be familiar to you. It's this word, liminal. Anybody know what that means? It, it, it's a word that has to do with um, thresholds. It actually comes from the Latin word limen, which means a threshold. And I've got a little... Uh, a very short, it's about five second clip to show you. That's what liminal means. A liminal space is where you're crossing over a threshold. You're moving from one kind of reality to another. And liminal space is, it always has kind of anxiety attached to it, often um, excitement attached to it, and it, it offers something new because you're moving out of one space and into another. Uh, those of you that know um, C.S. Lewis's Narnia series, there's a lovely illustration in that the last book of that series is called The Last Battle. Anybody know the, the book I'm talking about? It's called The Last Battle. And the, 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 it's where the, the forces of 
the, the forces of good in Narnia are battling against the forces of evil at the end of the book. And there's a wonderful scene in that book where there's a stable where the, where the false god, who's called Tash, I think if I remember right, um, has taken refuge. And the, Lucy and Peter and all the others have to, to go into this dark uh, space, this stable where this god Tash is, and they, they're expecting the worst. You know, it's gloomy and it's black and it's evil. And they go into this, they go through the door of this stable. And what they see is a landscape of blue sky and green grass and a river running through the landscape. That's a liminal space. That's a space that that opens up into something completely different. There's, um, this would be the, the reference, I suppose, for me, that in terms of, of thinking about it biblically, the Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And of course, what that's about, in part, is about Jesus coming into our lives, Jesus walking over the threshold into our lives, and, and everything beginning to change because of that. That's a liminal space right there. So liminal. And it isn't just, in the scriptures, it isn't just um, the idea of, of, of the threshold, you know, and Jesus coming in through the door. It isn't just a kind of one-off thing. I think what I want to say is that this great love makes these liminal spaces all the time. Because the greater the love the more that love draws us to be changed. Liminal spaces are quite scary because, you know, you're not sure what's going on. There's kind of uncertainty. Like that little clip, you know, the door opens. and What's out there? I mean, goodness me, if you walk through there, you're going to fall off the edge. What's going to happen to you? That's what liminal spaces are like. And I, I think that the great love of God, this agape love of God, draws us into those kind of liminal spaces all the time. All the time. It's not just a one-off thing that describes how we come to faith. It's, it's how our lives are lived with the possibility of, of new things. Because the, the, the conundrum, the paradox almost really, of God's love for us is this. That the love of God accepts me and you exactly as we are. With all of our failures and all of the, the things that have done wrong and all of the mixed up stuff that's in here. Accepts us absolutely, no questions asked. But will not leave us there. Because that is not great love. Great love wants to move us from there to being more of what we can be in the kingdom of God. You know, it, you know the, the line from um, the Charles Wesley's hymn, Love Divine or Love's Excelling? 
changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. That's about this kind of liminal space moving us all the time into places where we can reflect better something of that love of God. That's uh, L. O is for one anotherness. And the verse that, uh, there are lots of verses actually on this. Be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. Paul's letters particularly are full of one anotherness, aren't they? And this is the kind of neighbourly bit of, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Consideration needs to be given to not just my needs, but the needs of the other person. There needs to be a mutuality, a respect for one another. And actually when Gordon was preaching last week and he was preaching from Hebrews 12, he was making the same point really when he he pointed out that the, the pronouns in that passage are plural. Do you remember that? He said, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that runs that uh, whatever it is before us. <laughs> Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It's all plural pronouns. It's about this one anotherness. It's about being there for ourselves and for others. And in fact, I think this whole subject could replay a, a study on its own. But let me just um, say this. I, I think that in order for one anotherness to work, we need, we need two sets of antennae. <laughs> and one set of antennae keeps an eye on what my impact is on other people. And the other set of antennae keeps an eye on what their impact is on me. And, and you need both of those. You need a sensitivity to how others are affecting you and you need a sensitivity to how you're affecting others. And it's when, it's quite difficult actually this, you know. <laughs> but you need to keep an eye on, on, on both of those things in order for this... Um, one anotherness really to operate properly. I can become over-concerned about the impact that you're having on me. And that turns me into a victim. And I can sometimes become over-anxious about the impact that I'm having on you. (laughs) And that makes me kind of you know, I don't, oh, I'm going to be, I don't want to sort of, you know, shrivel up and, and disappear. So those two things need to be in balance. And actually, um, I think that, that one of the ways that we keep this in balance in terms of this one anotherness is, is, is something that's there in that passage in Matthew 22, but it's not altogether obvious and it's not altogether emphasized somewhere. You know, when Jesus says there are two commandment, two greatest commandments are these, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as you love yourself. There are, there are three directions of love in that. 
There's love that we have for God. There's love that we have for our neighbour. And there's love that we have for ourselves. And I don't think that we do a very good job about loving our neighbour if we haven't loved ourselves. And of course, it, it, it's, it's obvious in a sense. I mean, the things that I don't like about myself, the things that I even hate about myself, those are the things I hate in other people. Those are the things I react to in other people. And, and you know, sometimes the things that I don't like about myself are the result of, of quite deep trauma or failure in our experience. Then they sometimes are visited on us. But when there's stuff in there that, that really I think, oh, then it's hard to love other people, to love others, to love our neighbor properly. So this business of, of, of um, loving myself means allowing that grace of God to, to say, you know what? You're loved. <laughs> Unconditionally, agape. Unconditionally. And that means actually, you know, there are other people, you know, some of you out there, you've got the same hang-ups as me, not, I hope not very many of you, but some of you have got the same hang-ups as me. But I can love you in God's grace because I'm learning that God accepts that in me. That's not an easy task, but it, this is great love. This is one another love. What about V? What do you think I'm going to do for V? Victory? That would be a good one. Uh, here we are. Vocabulary. So it comes of being married to an English teacher. <laughs> Vocabulary. Here's the passage from Mark. All you need to say is simply yes and no. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount, of course, where Jesus is talking about um, swearing by other things, taking oaths, you know, the kind of thing that we used to do as children. Cross my heart and hope to die. What an awful thing to say, really. You know anything about it, isn't it? Terrible. And Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I think that's actually, that there's quite a profound meaning in there about simplicity and honesty of speech as well as brevity. But it's also about kindness and grace. Words matter. Don't let any prime minister tell you that they don't. <laughs> Words matter. Actually, they matter hugely. Because that's the way that, that we make that impact on other people. They hear our, our speech. And if that speech is um, seasoned with grace and with concern for other people, then that will come out. You, you know this. I, you know this because 
you know, who are the people that you like talking to? Aren't they the ones who actually will, will be graceful, you know, in their speech and in the way that they're put? They're lovely people to talk to, aren't you? One of the, one of the great encouragements to me about this congregation, Claremont, is that there is much less criticism than there is in many churches. I know, because I've been an interim minister along with Gordon. <laughs> there are some congregations that criticism has become viral. And they are hard, hard places. This kind of simplicity and grace of speech is what enables us to love one another in a way that is real. Okay, and the last one is this, encouragement, and I'm, I've, I've kind of covered this a little bit already. Here's the, um, the verse, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are in fact doing. And that's, that's a really nice verse for Clement too, actually, because what I just said about, you know, this being a place where there isn't... I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to rubbish criticism, I, you know, um, constructive criticism is necessary. Things don't change without that. But need, that needs to be in the context of a place where encouragement is given. I remember hearing somebody say once that, um, you know, a boot on the backside and a pat on the back are only about three vertebrae removed from each other. <laughs> but the impact they have is, is hugely different. Um, and if we learn how to encourage one another, literally, you know, put courage into each other, just as, in fact, you are doing. And again, I think that's a thing for Clement, actually. I think you're good at this. I think we're good at this. And over the next period of time, with all of the uncertainty that's there and all of the anxiety that goes with that, along with the excitement of these liminal spaces, it's going to it's something new is coming, you know. And the Lord is calling us to, to, to step on that threshold and, and to move beyond that. But in all of that, the encouragement that we have towards one another is a critical part of this great love. So they are. L is for liminal, O is for one anotherness, V is for vocabulary, and E is for encouragement.